As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sports and Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, Occasionally, sportsman drag racing. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed is at home in Alabama. I am in my motorhome in Noble, Oklahoma, Big Jed, which actually leads us into apologies to the live audience, both of you. We were unable to go live with this show due to some technical difficulties. Jed, I am convinced the internet does not exist in Noble, Oklahoma. Yeah, Luke, obviously you got some challenges there. Um, maybe the internet was doing well until, <laughs> you know, the uh, the weather event happened out there. Man, uh, you dodged a bullet, brother, uh, a real bullet. We very nearly got wiped off the map. We <laughs> My family and I, we left Las Vegas Monday afternoon. We drove to Noble, Oklahoma, which is a a questionable decision in its own right. Like we came to Noble for a division race. We left Las Vegas where there are two division races this weekend. Wanted okay. to see the scenic sights of Noble, Oklahoma, Big Jen. Interesting strategy, short, Cotton. Right. We, we roll in the gate, get parked yesterday, set the jacks down, get settled, and within two hours, there is a tornado that literally went like over our heads. I mean, obviously it was far enough into the sky that it didn't wipe us off the map. But um, it was scary times here. It, I don't know, our listeners and, and you, Jed, you may have seen the pictures. The spectator grandstand here at Thunder Valley Raceway Park, which is not a small structure by any stretch, it's flipped upside down. Look, I, I did see that, and you know, I know we, I know we're <laughs> joking and laughing a little bit, but dude, that is way too freaking close i mean i remember when the the tornado hit huntsville dragway back in the mm -hmm. 90s and cars were on the grounds and it was a devastating weather event and it sounds like it was all but one of those again at noble so thankful that that you escaped any major damage or injury and hopefully the grandstands took the worst of it and, and no people or cars were harmed in the storm. Yeah, that is my understanding. I don't believe that anyone was hurt, at least here at the facility. I know in the surrounding area, there were some, uh, some injuries and I believe a couple of fatalities. But yeah, we, we certainly dodged a bullet here. Thankful for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, all I can think of, they did years ago, I got a text message from our good buddy, friend of the podcast, Hilly Willie Burnett. And the picture was from the pits in Topeka 
you could see the grandstand behind Willie and behind the grandstand, you could see a funnel cloud forming. And the text simply read, how's this for a home track advantage, bitches? <laughs> Again, uh, certainly not a not a laughable event, but the, the response is, is definitely laughable. Uh, wouldn't expect anything less from Ivan, no driving. <laughs> so we survived a wild night at Noble Big Dead. That brings us here to this week's edition of the Sports and Drag Racing Podcast. We're NHRA heavy. We're uh, we're going to look back on the NHRA Four Wide Nationals in Las Vegas. We're going to look back on the Division One opener up in Cecil County, Maryland. Uh, we were supposed to to take a deep dive into a big dollar event at Montgomery last weekend, Big Dead, but the weather did not allow that one to happen. No, the uh, Capital City Classic uh, definitely had a forecast that was not favorable. So uh, Ben Willis and uh, the folks there at Capital City made the decision to cancel such a monster purse event uh, with people traveling from all over the place and do something that, that fit the regional crowd a little bit better and uh, something that he could make an e- you know, he could gamble a little bit easier with, put on some five granders uh, and but the weather did exactly what it had uh, had looked like it was going to do, and it it forced uh, that to be uh, ended early as well. So I don't think they ever got to got to complete anything due to weather at uh, Capital City. So all in all, it turned out to be a good call. It sounds that way. Like I say, uh, NHRA stuff. Really, the only thing I think we're talking about in the moment. Let's start in Las Vegas Four Wide Nationals. I was there. Typically, I was there for a little while, not quite as long as I wanted to be. Typically, Jed, this is the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. We spend very little, if any, time on the alcohol categories, although they are technically a sportsman class. I think they classify as pro-sportsmen. We rarely talk about top alcohol drags or top alcohol funny car. Given the results of this particular event, I think that's the only place to start, Big Jed. A man, you may have heard of him, by the name of Tony Stewart. (laughs) <laughs> One top alcohol dragster in Las Vegas, and it is my understanding that that is notable. Yeah, Luke, obviously, uh, you know, anybody that follows motorsports in general knows who Tony Stewart is. And uh, this is a guy with a lot of firepower. Owns, uh, he owns NASCAR teams or co-owns NASCAR teams. And to have him come over into drag racing and, and on the NHRA uh, circuit is pretty exciting in itself. We know that uh, that Tony will bring sponsors with him. He will bring eyeballs and people in the seats. So pretty uh, pretty exciting again to see somebody of that caliber come into our sport with really nothing to prove. Yet uh, obviously he's got something to prove, and he comes out in top alcohol dragster um, very quickly in his top alcohol dragster racing. We can see the guy's talented. We can see he's got excellent equipment, good funding behind him. Obviously, all of those things are there. But you still got to drive it, Luke. You still got to beat the car in the other lane. And that's not easy to do, regardless of what kind of talent and funding you have. It's all got to come together. And it came together in Las Vegas for one Tony Stewart. Really cool to see him get the top alcohol dragster win. And, you know, really, I guess – validate what he is uh what he's doing in nhra racing he's not just out here having fun he's uh he's definitely a winner he's out here to win and he accomplished that goal pretty quickly in his nhra career to your point Jed, like the i don't know that we have a shortage of, of stars at the on the, the professional tour of nhra the, the the camping world tour and perhaps it's just because the the stars of our sport have been so humanized to, to me and to you and to others. Like I see John Force ride by in the pits. I'm like, oh, it's John Force. Yeah. I see Eric Anders race with Erica. I see Antron Brown. Like, I, I might see him at the next Midwest Junior Series race, right? When Tony Stewart rides by on the scooter, like I, my head turns. Like, That's Tony Stewart. There is a, I don't know, you call it Q rating star power. Like I, I, I don't think we have or maybe have had, with the possible exception of John Force, anyone that just demands that level of attention. And I think you could even include John Force in that, now that I, I talk through this and think through this. 
the 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 following, the notoriety, just the fame that Tony Stewart brings to our sport is obviously a positive thing. The fact that he is having success and, you know, selfishly as a sports racer, the fact that he's been willing to start, you know, not the top of the is the bottom, but like that dude could easily strap into a top fuel car and not blink an eye. The fact that he was willing to start somewhere other than the top and that that win seems to mean something to him. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Look, um, definitely a guy with a lot of firepower and, um, you know, I think widely just respected for even attempting to do what he's doing and now doing it at, at, at a championship level. Pretty cool to see. Um, you said uh, that, that you believe they said at the track that Tony has now won on every track at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And I'm with you. I'm not sure how many racetracks that is, but it's more than a few. And it's certainly something that I'm not sure I ever would have uh, heard anybody say about anyone in motorsports. But Tony gave himself the opportunity and not only getting the opportunity, but accomplishing that by winning at every track there at Las Vegas. That's a pretty cool accomplishment and something that puts him probably in a class by himself, but certainly in very rare air. Yeah, I, I wish that I could actually pull up the different facility or the different racetracks at the LVMS facility. As I mentioned earlier, um, there's no internet access in Noble, Oklahoma, so I don't have a clue how many racetracks there are at LVMS, <laughs> but there's several. There's obviously a super speedway. There's obviously a drag strip. There are <clears throat> paved ovals. There are dirt ovals. Uh, of various sizes and you just think of if you follow tony stewart's career at all you're aware of the 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 variety of cars that he's driven with success the versatility as a driver from nascar to indy cars you know drag racing to sprints like on down the line that's just such a unique accomplishment i I assume that's true like i said i believe I, i i overheard it on the pa what a unique and incredible accomplishment and to to have our sport be the one that, you know, puts that cherry on the top that that checks all of the boxes. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. uh, Very, very well said Luke. So obviously Tony is, is in the, the more the pro ranks than anything else. Let's get to some sportsman drag racing. There was some good racing going on there at, uh, at Las Vegas with some winners in some of the categories that, that maybe not, that doesn't visit, the winner's circle seemingly very, very often. So let's uh, let's talk, first of all, about Top Dragster. Yeah, um, Mike McBrayer, your winner there in TD, not, not your, I don't want to say you're not your typical winner, like uh, not someone that, that <coughs> made frequent trips to victory lane. He made really nice runs throughout in Top Dragster to earn that national event. Wally knocked off Dan Naylor in the final, and Naylor, was the one making really impressive runs throughout, uh, specifically in the semifinals, if I'm not mistaken, Ben Naylor defeated Bradley Johnson, uh, uh, obviously a, a show favorite. We, we, we talked a lot about Bradley in 2020 when he made that crazy late season charge uh, at the national championship to ultimately come up one round short. In the semifinals, I believe Bradley Johnson laid down like 14 total in top dragster on the quarter mile going very close to the class minimum. Lay down 14 total, got six change. Then they were 008, dead zero. Those were the types of runs that he was making. Up until the final, he missed the tree. Mike McBrayer was there to capitalize. McBrayer claims the national event Wally. Yeah, good for Mike McBrayer. Again, uh, certainly wasn't trying to diminish uh, what he accomplishes on a regular basis on the racetrack. I guess it could have come off that way, but uh, but Mike, just not a guy that, that gives himself a ton of opportunities and to go out and get that national event win there in his in uh, his division seven ride that uh, that had to feel pretty darn good. So really happy for Mike. And as you mentioned, Naylor was making really solid runs, but just let it get by him there in the final round. And uh, McBrayer was there to capitalize on that. Over in Supercomp, Luke, uh, that Man had a press alert. Yeah, that had a fairly familiar winner, and you know a guy that just really shows out in the winner circle picture moment, but, uh, but he drives really well too. And that's Tanner Theobald. Tanner Theobald, 
uh, friend of the podcast, dead personal man crush, super comp winner at Las Vegas. It's his second national at Wally. And yet it's, it's obviously it's April. It's, it's too early to crown national champions, but we are far enough into the season to identify front runners. And there have been several individuals who have kind of taken the reins in a variety of classes to this point relatively early in the season. Tanner Theobald is that man in Supercomp. Um, we are, he, Tanner's five races into his, uh, his season. He's accumulated 373 points already. If you just do the math, that's averaging over 70 per event. That's before he throws away any bad ones. Historically speaking, to average 80 to close to 80 to have a legitimate shot at the world championship. But again, he's, he's got a couple of, of races to throw away already. You're only five in already averaging a 70 if you count everything and multiply that by the fact that he's doing it in super comp, which maybe not historically, but certainly the last several years has been a class where the level of parity that we can all see on a round around basis is very much reflected in the season ending scores. The, the, the national champion in Supercomp has not reached 650 for at least four seasons. Like it's a over 600 has a good shot. 620 looks really strong. And to this point early in the season, Tanner Theobald has absolutely positioned himself in a spot where those numbers are very attainable. He started the season, well, I'll just say this, he just won the national event in Las Vegas. Um, he's been to five races. He has not lost before round three. He has been to the fifth round or better at three of the five. So he's basically he's got a quarterfinal finish, a semifinal finish. I'm sorry, two quarterfinal finishes, a semifinal finish, a win, and one third round loss. And like I say, in a, in a class <clears throat> with so much parity of super comp, that's about as strong a start as you could ask. Yeah, off to a really good start, uh, as you mentioned, Luke, and, you know, driving well. Um, but Tanner, just when I look at his box score from Vegas, pretty darn impressive. He he lit it up 21 in the final, and that was his worst light. But when you look down through his box score, Luke, and you see there were some obvious reds in the other lane that allowed him to just flat foot it. Uh, Tanner went as fast yeah. as an 897.9 on his 905 index. So, you know, he is obviously uh, willing to, to put a few numbers in the bag and drive it on the other end. He went 906 on the 905 in the final at 159, obviously stopped, sent Doug Johnson through. Doug got a little too much strike to break it out, uh, 31 thou. So, when, when you got a guy that's uh, lighting up the tree the way Tanner is, putting up the results race after race the way Tanner is, and not afraid to, to show his cards when, you know, that these I guess they've got overrides on the shift, and he might have played with that some. I don't know what you, what you uh, 90 guys do when somebody lights it red if you just want to light the board up a little faster than what you're actually holding. But if he's holding all that, it shows a lot of confidence in himself and uh, in, in the ability to go up and execute the plan. So uh, you got a guy that's got those kind of skills and putting up those kind of results. He uh, He's scary to the field. He, he's, a, he's a guy that, that you do not want to see in the other lane because it's obvious he's got all of the skills necessary to go out and compete. I'll say this, Jeff, just watching from the fence, he's holding all that. <laughs> I don't think there's manipulation on the buy run. So to your point, there's there's a buy run and two red lights. You'd mentioned there's one run where Tanner Theobald lit it up 800 thunder opposite a red light. In each of those three, he never lit it up slower than 600 thunder, right? It's, it's a little bit confusing at Vegas because, as you mentioned, the index is, is 905. But, yeah, Tanner, not a bit afraid to, uh, to speed it up. And what's what's impressive and perhaps unique about that is not only the fact obviously that he's having tremendous success but that's in a part of the country where that is not the, the norm right like we've talked about and and i'll i'll die on this hill of saying that like there are good racers everywhere so i'm not trying to diminish 
the level of competition on the West Coast. I actually would make the argument that the super classes out West are every bit as tough top to bottom as anywhere else, maybe even tougher and, and in a completely different manner, because when, what I, what I am used to for superclass racing on the, the East coast, if you will, or, or even in the, in the Midwest is like, if you're ahead, you don't expect anyone to follow you through. Like everyone's trying to drive the finish line. And, and at the same time, like very few racers really know what the heck they can run. Like that's what I've always actually enjoyed about the 90 classes is there's a level of creativity, a level of, uh, of, um, yeah, I guess creativity would be the right word at the finish line. You go out west, and keep in mind, there's not a lot of options to bracket race out west. There are a lot of options to 90 race, like super class associations. For the most part, when these racers that, that we run into at national or divisional events are racing, they are racing on the throttle stop racing on an index. And as a result, they have an incredible handle on dialing their stuff. So the competition is fierce out west, but more often than not, the winners are dialing honest or holding just a little bit, like very much trusting their cars. And what's different about that part of the country is like they're good enough at that to do it <laughs> with success. So to just completely buck that trend in the way that Tanner is, like it's all caution to the wind. He's not holding a little, he's holding a bunch. And just destroying the competition, you put all that together, it's, it's pretty impressive stuff. Very impressive, and I think it's fair to to assume any time the index is moved a tenth and a half slower that, you know, the, the weather conditions in whatever area that, that you're racing should be a factor, will be a factor, and uh, can cause havoc on your strategy. So uh, I do see in the notes I guess you there. You get a little tricky. Yeah, I see in the notes that it was uh, it was forty three hundred and sixty five feet adjusted altitude in the final. Um, obviously, most everybody can still run eight ninety in forty three hundred feet because these cars are much sure. faster than that. So it's interesting that the, the the dial has to be moved a tenth and a half there for Vegas. But I think it's uh, it's clear indication that it does get a little tricky out there, and and certainly can challenge the drivers and and their equipment a lot more than they would like to be challenged so Luke, let's move to super gas well, i'm sorry go ahead hold on i got i got a little story time i gotta interject so the index being 905 in vegas and how how, how jarring that can be I'll, I'll backtrack to my first well no wait my first national event in las vegas i actually flew out there i drove uh one of Justin Lamb's cars in super gas. So the index then is obviously 1005, right? Well, <laughs> we go through it. I'd driven this car uh, at a race prior. I think I'd flown out to the phone and driven it, and it was awesome. When we get to Vegas and I make my two time trials and it moves like 400 to 64. And I think Justin was busy. Like we were kind of on vacation. Like I just didn't think much of it. Fine. Well, I run first round and it, whichever direction it went, it moved an additional 460 foot. Now it's moved 860 foot. And I get through, and then somehow or another, I get through second round. And we finally get a, a breath, and Justin's like, hey, you're still in? Good job. How's the Camaro doing? I'm like, honestly, it's, it's been awful. What do you mean? Oh, something's wrong. Okay. So we do some examining, and apparently they had had the, the carburetor off earlier that week and they had stacked the instead of like it's supposed to go intake manifold carburetor spacer throttle stop and it went intake manifold throttle stop carburetor spacer so there's this big space above the throttle stop and justin's like well that's the problem so we change it for the third round which is the next morning and uh <laughs> i roll around for third round and obviously i'm i'm running a slower opponent so the more i hold like kind of the easier the finish line becomes and uh as it ends up like I'm flying, right? And I catch my opponent real early and roll him through. And it just so happens it works out where I get there first, like less than a hundredth of a second. And not only do I win the round, but I ring it up 10.050 to win the perfectly strange deal, which had multiplied up to like two grains or something. It takes a whole <laughs> right? 
And so I, but the, the punchline of the story is I get back to the trailer and uh, I'm, I'm logging the run in Justin's logbook and Justin's father, Chris, slides open the sliding glass doors on the side of the trailer. He's like, great job, Luke. What were you going? And I said, uh, best I can figure, I was going like 88. Awesome. Perfect. Right. And he closes the doors. And so I keep writing it down in the logbook. And it's literally like two minutes later, he pops back in the door and he goes, Luke, you know, the index here is 1005, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do, Pops. We'll get a little closer next round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that 88 might have been a good strategy for the 90, but <laughs> old for a 1005. <laughs> so maybe that's the issue here. Like maybe, maybe Tanner didn't realize until the final, like, oh, it's 905 here. Yeah. He, wasn't, he didn't need to be old that much. Maybe that was the case. All right, Luke, <laughs> let's move to Super Gas. You competed in uh, Super Comp and uh, Anthony Bertozzi's uh, dragster that uh, Laboose normally drives, but Super Gas is the class that you spend most of your time in. So you got an up close look at the eventual winner, Tom Carlson. Yeah, more more of a, cl- a closer look than I uh, than I bargained for. Tom knocked me out in round four, made a solid run, which was one of many solid runs that he made throughout. I think, uh, I believe first round, Tom ran an opponent that they shut off before staging, so his, his reaction time looked skewed because it was a single, like weird. And then on his by run, he wasn't great on the tree. Outside of that, his worst light was thirteen. He was all over the ten oh five index throughout. Uh, put the cherry on the top in the final with a 007 initiated 10.053 for a 10,000 package to knock off Mark Philbrick to win his first national event, Wally. I was actually surprised to see that. I don't know if you're familiar at all with Tom Carlson's work, Big Jen, but um, very savvy, uh, very talented racer in the super gas category. Was a, I was a little bit surprised to see that this was his first national event win, but it was certainly one that he worked. Yeah, uh, definitely not familiar very much with uh, with Tom and his uh, history, but um, obviously looking at the box score, I could see the buy run lit it up a little late, but I know that gets tricky, and I did not know what happened in round one, but I could tell he was super solid otherwise, and uh, certainly, uh, again, the run on you at uh, in round number four was a was one of many solid runs he was making, and again, running all over the index, so great outing for Tom. Uh, seven dead three in the final your opponent lights it up 16 and uh, mathematically ineligible that's a that's a pretty good day for you uh, Mark Philbrick not a bad day himself again a little miss there on a bye run not quite as solid as Tom but Tom coming through with that uh, that win light and and getting his national event win at, at Vegas had to be really special for him and just looking through the the path that he had it wasn't a, a a very easy path either there were some challenging runs in the other lane you included so good for Tom really uh, really solid outing for him so as I look over this now like I was kind of you know it's easy to feel sorry for yourself I'm like I just ran the wrong guy at the wrong time well Tom and I ran it was first thing Sunday morning so it was a blind round and he makes what on paper doesn't look like an unbeatable run but in a blind round at Las Vegas putting down 28 total solid right that was like the fourth best package he had in the event like, I didn't run the wrong guy at the wrong time I just ran the wrong guy period um pretty <laughs> impressive stuff from from Tom Carlson Jed you said you're not particularly familiar with his work trivia time oh boy Tom Carlson in, invaded the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, where does Tom hail from? Well, I see I see Tom is number 52. So Tom is obviously a Division 5 racer. He finished second in Division 5, if, uh, if I got that correct. So I'm going to say Tom is from Iowa. Oh, you're close. It's a very good deductive reasoning. Tom Carlson hails from the great state of Minnesota. Man, I almost guessed Minnesota, but I just thought I talked myself out of it. Doggone it. You you almost got it right. I was really close. Stock eliminator, Big Jed, for the second consecutive week. The Wally went home with one Kyle Rizzoli. Add that to a super stock runner up 
a couple weeks prior at the Phoenix national event and a stock runner up to start the season at the Phoenix divisional event. And it is safe to say Kyle Rizzoli has been on a heater. Big kid. Stop, drop and roll. Kyle Rizzoli, dude, you're on fire. He Luke, he is off to a great start making very solid runs He's in an a, a traditional A-stock automatic car. I'm loving this. I mean, he is bringing A-stock automatic back, baby. Kyle, uh, you know, doing it the, the old school way, as silly as that sounds now. Solid laps. Did have a miss or two outside of the, the window that he was living in. But really, overall, just super solid runs for him. Uh, qualified with a 1047, stayed around that number for the most part, was dialed 37 in the final. Obviously, uh, maybe the weather changed or he was playing the game just a little bit in qualifying. Kyle, all the skills from the time that the ladder is set to the time he stages round by round and really love this guy. He's uh, he's an awesome dude. Got by a tough, tough competitor in John Gray. John had a pretty solid box for himself for stock eliminator, especially in an e-stocker. But uh, Kyle's just a handful right now, Luke. He he is that guy you don't want to see in the other lane. Did we talked a little bit about Tanner Theobald and, and his chance this season in the Super Cup category. Rizzoli is obviously the man who is beginning to separate himself from the pack and stock eliminator. Not only did this win in Vegas complete a back-to-back -back national event triumph uh, between Pomona and Vegas, and I believe both were seven rounders, so 14 consecutive round wins in stock eliminator. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, he also started the season with a runner-up at the points meet in Phoenix. Oh, by the way, in between, he was also runner-up at the Arizona Nationals in Superstock. In stock eliminator, he currently sits at 394 points through just five races. That is a massive score, almost averaging 80 points per event to this point without throwing away anything. He's in the driver's seat. It's very early, but I don't think it's premature to say this could be the year, Big Jed. Kyle Rizzoli has knocked on the door of a national championship several times in his career. Just no vested interest in stock eliminator. I just like Riz. I, I think this is this is his best opportunity, and I hope this is near get it done. Yeah, you know, uh, Riz has been that guy for many years that just kind of sees how the early season plays out to, before he makes his decision on how much of this he's going to do. Uh, obviously, putting himself in position where he doesn't have a choice. He's got a. He's got to continue to chase and continue to put those points up. I agree, Luke, giving himself the best chance that he's had in a long time. His national title is way overdue. He's a talented guy with great equipment and, uh, and the ability to travel some and go to these races. So looking forward to seeing how this works out for Riz um, and, and certainly hoping for the best for him. Look, speaking of great box scores and guys that are nasty on the bottom, typically in the category we just talked about is where we talk about this racer, but he is also pretty mean on the super stock side of things, and that is one bad Brad Burton. Burton, for the second time this season, gets the Superstock win. He's actually the one that handed Kyle Rizzoli his only national event final round defeat of the season. Uh, we, if I remember correctly, it was Burton laying down 2,000 total in the final at the Arizona Nationals to deny Kyle Rizzoli the Superstock win. He comes back to back here with another win in Superstock in Las Vegas. And you mentioned the box score, Big Jeb. Brad Burton staged with someone in the other lane five times, and he was 20 in the final opposite Trey Vetter. That was his first in Superstock at a national event. Really impressive stuff. Speaking of, of, of impressive stuff, Trey Vetter on the runner-up, Vetter driving Justin Lamb's Cobalt, which is obviously a machine, no stranger to success, especially at that facility. But for those of you familiar with Trey, like he doesn't, uh, since the junior dragster days, at least, he doesn't necessarily have a bottom ball acumen. Trey's made a name for himself in super comp and big dollar bracket races and just proved again this weekend that he's just a racer, just a driver. He made really impressive runs in the Lamb Cobalt to advance to the final before ultimately falling in a really close race to Brad Burton. Now, let's focus on Burton because obviously he started the 2022 season on an absolute heater in stock eliminator. 
ended up embroiled in a in a points chase with Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. That Hidalgo obviously came out on top of third and finished second in the nation in stock eliminator. He is starting this 2023 season in Superstock, much the same way that he started last season in Stock Eliminator. Um, he won the Phoenix National event. Now he wins the Vegas National event. Oh, by the way, he didn't win Pomona because he didn't go. He's basically batting a thousand. If <clears> just <throat> the two national event wins were not enough, he also added a runner-up finish at the Phoenix points meet. So add that all up. He's been to four events in Superstock this season. He's been to three final rounds. His score right now is 334 points through just four races. That's averaging well over 80 per event, obviously leading the world championships points at this point very early in the season, but with a very strong foundation to make yet another run at what would be his third, third, third NHRA national championship. Yeah, definitely (laughs) off to a great start. And, you know, it ain't like he's been terrible in stock eliminator. So could very well put himself in position at some point to be a contender in both categories. But uh, obviously, super stock is where he is putting up the best numbers and uh, don't, you know, certainly don't anticipate Brad just falling out of the car. So I look forward to seeing him make his run at a super stock national title. But we know there's a lot of guys that are, uh, habitual offenders uh, chasing that title that are going to be uh, in the middle of that mix, Luke, and adding Brad Burton to it just makes it more exciting. Can't wait towards the fall when these things start shaking out a little more. And a quick mention about Trey Vetter, unbelievable performance by him. A little miss there in round one. Wasn't worse than 27 after that. Had people like Bertozzi and Adkinson in the other lane and got all the way around those guys to, to meet Brad Burton in the final. Brad probably uh, dropped him just a little bit, and Trey got a little too much stripe, but nonetheless, um, a great outing for him with that runner-up and uh, and falling to a, a very, very tough competitor. So, Luke, that kind of wraps up Vegas. Uh, anything else noteworthy from out there? Just a quick shout, it didn't make our notes, but uh, competition eliminator victory to Travis Gusso. That was Travis's first national event win, really fast car in that Cobalt. Uh, I think would have had a barn burner of a final with Jeff Taylor, but JT had some issues on the starting line. I think the train break didn't hold. Um, you wouldn't know that to watch it because JT just swapped feet and made a go of it, but uh, given up enough on the starting line that he was no match for Gusso. Gusso gets his first national event. That's pretty much it from Las Vegas, Big Jed. We did have the Division One opening Lucas Oil Series event at Cecil County, Maryland. I don't know that there's necessarily a lot to discuss from that. It's so early in the season that even the winners, obviously, they're, they're not on a hot streak yet. <laughs> this could be the foundation to get them there. But I thought it's worth just rolling through the names uh, that, that did have success in Cecil County. Super Gas saw Charlie Kanopic get the win over Ken Bowers. Joey Cambria over Jack Sapanic in the Super Comp Finals. Brandon Miller got the win in Top Sportsman over Ron Riggle. David Batchelor was our top dragster victory over Ken Moses. Uh, in Stock Eliminator, Ken Robinson was the winner over James Daniels. And in Super Stock, Brittany Bolts got the win over Joe Lisa. I saw another late round finish uh, from the Warner Brothers there in Super Stock. No surprise, but it seems like every time I pull up a, uh, event results, you see the Warners in fourth, fifth round, or deeper. Uh, also, Super Street winner, Mario DiTiodoro over Sean Frick. Well done there on DiTiodoro. That's not a real easy one to get. And uh, Sean Frick, uh, again, I another. I think he did. He crushed that. And Sean Frick, uh, another big final round there in Super Street. That guy's uh, – he makes nasty runs over there in Super Street. So, DiTiodoro got by a tough, tough competitor. Uh, Luke, so – Quickly, as uh, as we start preparing to wrap up uh, a somewhat of a short show and NHRA heavy, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the front runners in the uh, NHRA sportsman categories. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Tanner Theobald and Supercomp, Kyle Rizzoli and Stock, Brad Burton and Superstock on the heels of their victorious weekend. But again, I think you can look through just about every category and pinpoint one particular competitor that 
has had a strong enough start that certainly too early to say that they are a, a, a write in. I'm, I'm not, I learned my lesson a year ago, Big Ed. It's not quite over <laughs> in April. But I think it's fair to say that there is at least one individual in each category that you can say will, the championship will go through them. Like they, they will be involved to the end. So the categories that we have not touched on to this point, Super Gas is obvious. It's your boy, Big Ed. You called it to start the season. Sherman Adcock Jr. has been to three NHRA division events. He has yet to lose a round. 18-0 on the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series in Supergas. He will put that unblemished record on the line this weekend, I assume, in Reynolds, Georgia. So we'll see if that can go, if Sherm can go four for four. Um, I'm close, Big Jed. I'm close to say, Supergas, it, it's, I can get the O out. I, I can't go much further, but when you combine that hot of start with the, the, the lineage, the experience that Sherman brings, the backing that he brings, the resources, obviously he's going to go to the races. It would be very uncharacteristic to think that he's not going to continue to have success. And at this point, with three wins out of the way by mid-April, four victories historically puts you in a really good position to win the world championship. It's hard to imagine Sherman going through 10 more events and not hoisting one more Wally. Like He could very easily run away with this and not it not be interesting come June, July. We'll see what happens, but Sherman's in a very good place. Just to put it in perspective, Marco Paravalares is having an excellent start to his super gas season. Excellent start. He's been to, he's won a national event. He's been deep at three others. He's 26 points behind Sherman Adcock Jr. And he's been to one more race than Sherman Adcock Jr. That's how good a start Sherman's off to. Yeah, off to a great start, uh, certainly uh, making my, my pick look very solid. And, Luke, I don't know how noteworthy it is, and if it really matters in that kind of competition, because competition is great no matter where you are. But this weekend's event is at Sherman's uh, closest track. I guess I would stop short of calling it his home track, but it will definitely be the Honey closest. Hole. It will definitely be the closest to his home of all of the races that he'll go to this year in super gas. So uh, that's got to weigh in uh, some way or another. So looking for Sherman to continue putting up great results. Uh, Marco Pervalaris, always a, a contender, always a guy that's um, going to be out there and, and hard to beat, but Sherman definitely looking really good with a 26 point lead right now over two rounds ahead. That's a, uh, that's about all you could ask for in that, in that category uh, with that kind of talent out there. Uh, off to such a good start for him. What about in top dragster? Uh, I can't tell if he's an East Coaster or West Coaster, but he's doing well. <laughs> yeah, Chad Axford, definitely your uh, leader in the clubhouse early on. Back-to-back um, -back final rounds in Phoenix. He's your early front runner, like we talked about a couple episodes ago. I think there is strong potential for Chad Axford to be this year's Jeremy Hancock, being a a bracket racer with a, a quasi top dragster car, not maybe not what your top dragster traditionalists would call a, a top dragster. It's typically going to qualify in the bottom half of the field, but a very talented driver when he does get in the show and a smart enough driver to only go where he probably will get in the show. Uh, if Chad Axford wants to pursue this, it, obviously at this point, he is a title contender, if not favorite. And then in top sportsman, Big Jed, it would be easy to say that our reigning national champion, Lance Abbott, is off to a hot start because he is back-to-back uh, -back national event runner-ups in Phoenix and Pomona. But it's actually been overshadowed to this point by Division II's Doug Crumlich. Crumlich has the best early score after logging back-to-back -back victories at the Division II events in Gainesville and South Georgia. Again, both of those categories probably even earlier, probably even uh, – that much more too early to call, but those are the two that stand out to this point. Actually, yeah, definitely some hot starts in top dragster. Chad Axford, good to see him uh, make the trip out west, pay off. He, he had a great outing out there, and now he'll come back east where the the crowds get a little faster in top dragster. So we'll see how that works out for him as he's uh, preparing to continue his chase for the championship there. And as you mentioned, in top sportsman, 
some guys that uh, that spent a lot of time in the discussion about national championships and win lights, Lance Abbott, Doug Crumlich, uh, always be interesting to see how that race plays out. All of these races, very, very early. There are some leaders in the clubhouse, but definitely uh, some contenders sitting out there lurking, waiting on their opportunity to get to the track and start putting up great scores. So it'll always be fun to watch that play out or it'd be fun to watch it play out this year like it always is. So, Luke, that does wrap us up. Again, short show. We apologize for not being able to go live this week. Obviously, some challenges that were beyond our control that, that caused uh, the show to, to be in its form that it's in this week. Uh, Luke, I hope that you're able to get out of that barrel that you're in. Um, you know, sound, <laughs> sound was a little different this week. Luke's having to call in on the phone. And, uh, and having to make it work. But, you know, all of that said, it's what we do here at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. We power through and get to both of our listeners each and every week. So you get to hear <laughs> what we have to talk about in the world of Sportsman Drag Racing. So we certainly appreciate you guys uh, sitting through this uh, NHRA heavy show. Luke, there's some good racing coming up, not necessarily much this weekend. But uh, here in the, the next couple of weeks, we've got some really good racing coming up that we'll talk about. You are obviously in Noble for a double divisional. Uh, I guess uh, last before we close the show, uh, obviously some tornado damage there. But it, is the event a go? Is everything going to be just fine? Yes. Uh, the uh, NHRA Division 4 staff actually made a, a Facebook post this morning. When I got up, I was... I was concerned, but I could see early this morning they were doing timing system tests, kind of running through, making sure that there was no damage that they weren't aware of. And uh, they actually made a post on their Facebook page about midday saying, it's all good. The, the optics are going to be a little weird because I don't think we can move these grandstands that are laid over on the spectator side of the track. But other than that, we're rolling. So, yes, uh, all is well that ends well. We are good to go here. Uh, single divisional here in Noble this weekend, double divisional out in Division 7 in Las Vegas, oh, single right. divisional out in Division 2 in Reynolds, Georgia. So a lot going on on the NHRA scene, but to your point, not a lot of big dollar bracket action when we resume uh, next week. We won't have a lot to talk about there, but a fair amount on the horizon here as we really kind of get into the heart. Yeah, so that'll be good to talk about, and uh, we certainly, all of us, uh, me and both our listeners, are wishing you well out there in Noble. Uh, get you get you a few wind lights there and hoist that trophy and, and head on back home to Illinois safely, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you next week to hear more about your results. And, uh, folks, that wraps us up. Um, if you'd like to get on our case about anything, there's a place you can do that. It's the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. If you want to tell us this show – was um, a little weird, a little different, and you're angry about the the no live because you wanted to see Luke and I, mainly Luke, uh, let us know about it right there on the, the podcast Facebook page. Uh, we'd love to hear from you anytime, whether it's good or bad. If you're not comfortable putting that out there for everyone, you can go right there to our private messages and send it in and producer Mark will snag that up and tell us what you had to say. Luke, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of a weird show, a little different show. Um, you got any kind of shouts or, or are we, we skipping the shouts this week? Do I have shouts? Of course I have shouts. This is a little bit convoluted because not only can the live viewership, does the live viewership not exist? They can't see us. We can't see each other. And I, I just realized how dependent I've gotten on that. Like, I feel like I can give you some nonverbal cues. It's like, Jeff, <laughs> Day. Yeah. And, and, it, and it comes through. So I do have shouts. And I actually spent the last 30 seconds thinking, how can I tell you that I've got shouts? I do have shouts. Shouts okay. to you, the listener, for sitting through at least me, perhaps Jeff, in a barrel. Like shouts to the internet in Noble, Oklahoma. I've been waiting for my AOL dial up. <laughs> that would be helpful right now. I got nothing. Nothing. I'm on. I'm. I'm literally calling into a Zoom call. So, shouts to the internet in Oklahoma. Shouts to Mike McBrayer. I think we kind of threw him under the bus. Obviously, Mike, very talented racer. Congratulations on your win, Mike. Shouts, Big Jeff, to Kyle Rizzoli bringing a stock automatic back. Yeah, baby. Shouts to Sherms. Shouts to Sherms Honey Hole out there in Reynolds, Georgia. 
And most of all, shout to Mario D-T-I-O-O, your Super Street winners. <laughs> Great list of shouts, as always, Luke. Uh, I know that uh, that was a little different for you, but you, you came through in a clutch like you always do. Well done. Folks, if uh, you like to tweet, and look, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. I check it every three or four weeks. So if, uh, if you like to tweet, tweet me because I'm going to see it and I'm going to respond. I'm going to put the heart. I'm going to do whatever. So uh, tweet us. Uh, I'll, Luke, see is that- I'll see it too, but it, it might be Monday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you're back to civilization. Uh, Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. You can tag one of us or tag us both, and we'll be sure to uh, put a nice big red heart on your uh, on your post or or with maybe even respond if it's good enough. So um, that wraps us up for this week. Again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Sorry this show didn't come to you live. We will be back. Luke will be back with great internet connection and a new Wally come next week. And we can't wait to talk to you then about more Sportsman Drag Race. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.